0: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Your friends in Christ. Some of the more interesting stories that are told in novels or movies start off seeming rather disconnected. The first character we meet goes about his or her life, doing things and having things happen to him or her, and And the plot moves along. But then, in a second chapter or scene or act, we meet another character in a completely different place, in a completely different life. And he or she goes about business, doing things and having things happen to him or her, and a seemingly different plot moves along. And then much of the book or the film, sometimes most of it, consists of the the twists and turns in each character's life that eventually lead to their meeting, and their plots are joined. And often we see at that moment how what had seemed utterly unconnected ends up essentially united, and that there was just no other way for things to turn out. We might make similar observations about the stories of the two hearts that we have been focusing on throughout Lent, leading through Holy Week up to today. When we look honestly at the human heart, we would never expect it to have any connection at all to the heart of the Lord, because the human heart is full of evil, turned away from God, focused on its own desires, and hostile to any idea that it owes anything or has any responsibility to an authority higher than itself. And even if we take a more generous or charitable look at the human heart, limiting our view to its more positive products like kindness and love, well, even then we still see it focused on other humans, not toward God. So as we see people going about their lives, doing things and having things happen to them, their individual plots moving along, we do not perceive any particular reason to expect them to meet any one or anything higher or pure. And then when we look at the heart of God, we would especially never expect it to have any connection to the heart of man. God's heart is full of nothing but what is good and pure and holy. Evil cannot even be considered there, let alone reside there. Its desires are perfect, and its focus is never self-serving. It is the complete opposite of the human heart. But God has told us the story of how he set the plot in motion to bring our hearts together. And through that meeting, to change our stories and even change our hearts to be like his. And here at the foot of the cross on Good Friday, when His plan joined the path of our lives, we see it clearly. This was what had to happen. There was just no other way for things to turn out. Turn out for our good. It helps, of course, to know the backstory though each of us gets to know our, our own individual hearts and, and tale from the beginning, we, we are still coming in late to the human story. And what we learn from that is that our hearts were designed to be together with God's heart, that it was always supposed to be that we would be not just connected, but united. That's how it was when the Lord created the first man and the first woman. They were perfect in every way, which means that their hearts were like God's heart, full of nothing but what was good and pure and holy. Their desires were perfect, and their focus was never self-serving. But then, then they let Satan's lying ideas enter in. And in a moment, Their hearts were changed. They were no longer perfect, but sinners. They no longer knew only good. They they knew evil intimately because now it resided in their hearts. And hearts turned away from God and His will and toward their own desires. Well, those are the hearts that Adam and Eve have passed down to all of their descendants. Yes, including you and me. So if we were to open up our hearts to see what is in them, spiritually, not surgically, what would we find? Even more importantly, what does God, our Creator, find in sinful human hearts? They are black with guilt, filled to the edges with the ash of burnt-out passions fueled by godless decisions throughout our lives. While good things like love and tenderness give the suggestion of light in our hearts, even those are tainted and twisted. The guilt overwhelms, but it is unappreciated and often ignored because we still want to think of ourselves as basically good and as capable of, of regaining God's favor through sincere efforts and acts of devotion. But it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. We cannot get ourselves back on track. As Isaiah told us earlier, we all have gone astray like sheep. Each of us has turned to his own way. And so the guilt weighs us down. Some days we might wake up and feel that, oh boy, yeah, we can knock on heaven's door and demand entry. But other days the reality and enormity of what we have done and left undone bears down on us. We have not loved God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have despised His Word and those who would proclaim it to us, and we have despised our parents and spouses and those intended as gifts to us. We have misused the name of the Lord, and we have misused others in the name of self-fulfillment and fun. We have worshipped gods of our own design, and we have made designs on the bodies, goods, and reputations of our neighbors. And we cannot rid ourselves of this guilt. We can work harder to do good and sin less. We can pump ourselves up with sincerity and try to negotiate or flatter our way into God's kingdom, but none of it will work. Because none of it removes the burden and stain of what we have done. And none of what we might do can escape the taint of sin enough to actually be of value to our Father, the Judge, the Almighty, Lord of the universe. All we merit is what God told Adam and Eve disobedience would result in, death. That's what we get for insisting on our will instead of our Lord's. And it's not just the death of our bodies, but it is the death that is eternal and spiritual, separation forever from His loving presence in the place designed not for us, but for the devil and his angels, hell, all this bad news is what we will see when we take an honest and unfiltered look at our sinful human hearts, which makes it that much more important that we take another look at the heart of God. Because there is something there besides his purity and holiness. Something there that overbalances his righteous obligation to judge evil and punish disobedience. That something is love. Love that gives itself instead of demanding service. Love that showers mercy on the undeserving. Grace that reaches out and does for the beloved what the beloved could never do for him or herself. And so we see the horrors of Good Friday and Golgotha. Because the love in the heart of God sent His Son, His chosen servant, to suffer and die in our place, for our salvation, to remove our guilt and restore us, heart and soul, body, mind, and sphere, to restore us to the perfect connection and fellowship that our Creator designed for us from the beginning and desires for us still. This was no accident or bad luck for Jesus. This was not the result of a purely intellectual and emotionless plan. This was born in the heart of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Isaiah told us, it was the Lord's will to crush Him and to allow Him to suffer. And so on that long ago Friday, Christ was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He was pierced by nails, oppressed by his enemies, led like a lamb to the slaughter, despised, poured out, abused, beaten, and bled, till finally he was cut off from the land of the living and then given a grave with the rich in his death. Jesus suffered as no one else could suffer and died as only he could die because it was the only way to solve our problem of sin and he did it willingly with all his heart. It was because of our rebellion that he was pierced. He was crushed for the guilt our sins deserved. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. That's what we read earlier from Isaiah. And that was His purpose. This was why Jesus came to earth. This was His heart meeting our heart. To deliver us from the anguish and agony of hell that our sins deserved. To free us from the fear of death that was our destiny. To dispatch the devil and every enemy of our soul for good and forever. And he achieved it. He finished it. As we heard earlier from Hebrews 5, after he was brought to his goal, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him, for everyone who puts their trust in him and what he has done, and in no one and nothing else. And why would we put our faith anywhere else? There is no hope and no joy in our own works, which are futile, or in other gods and philosophies, which lead us nowhere. Only Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Only He has provided the guilt offering that clears our debt of sin and gives us perfect righteousness in its place. And only God the true triune God that we know in Scripture and who so graciously and perfectly created us for fellowship with Him, only He loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son to save us. And so while our hearts on Good Friday are appropriately, devotionally somber considering the cost of that salvation that Jesus won us with His suffering and death on the cross, our hearts yet are not weighed down with guilt. Jesus has removed that from us and has put us right again with our Father. This is the way. It was always supposed to turn out. We can be at peace. And we can know joy. Because it is just as Christ proclaimed it from his cross. It is finished. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.